Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from ITV Studios' Lisa Perrin, Shaftesbury's Christina Jennings, Endeavour Content's Prentice Fraser, Luxveed's Luca Bernabe and Fremantle's Christian Vesper about the lessons learned from this year and how these will inform international production models looking to 2021 and beyond. This is our final show of 2020 and what a year it's been. A huge thank you to all who have listened and of course those who've taken part in our C21 FM and podcast interviews throughout these most challenging of times. Few have emerged from the events of this year unscathed, but if 2020 has taught us anything, it's what a resilient and creative industry the international TV business is. So in this last discussion, we hear from leading execs about the lessons they've learned from their experiences of the COVID-19 pandemic and how these will inform international production models looking to 2021 and beyond. Lisa Perrin from ITV Studios, Shaftesbury's Christina Jennings, Endeavour Content's Prentice Fraser, Luxveed's Luca Bernabe and Fremantle's Christian Vesper spoke to Ed Waller as part of Content London On Demand, the virtual version of our international TV conference which wrapped online earlier this month. I'm Ed Waller, Editorial Director of C21 Media. We have gathered together a distinguished panel of executives. We will examine the lessons learned in an unprecedented year that will inform the future. What will international production, co-production look like in 18 months? And how can the business work best together going forwards? What are the new opportunities arising this year, not just from COVID, but other things like the fact that the lockdown has seen a boom in streaming services. Netflix's Ted Sarandos even spoke recently about the unforeseen financial benefits, quote, of producing during a pandemic. Interesting times indeed. To help us through these topics, Lisa Perrin, MD of International Production at ITV Studios in the UK, Christina Jennings, Chairman and CEO of Shaftesbury in Canada. Prentice Fraser, Exec VP of International Television Sales at Endeavour Content. Luca Bernabai, CEO of Lux Vida in Italy. And Christian Vesper, President of Global Drama at Fremantle. Welcome to all our panellists and thank you for participating in this Content London On Demand session. Without further ado, let's begin. I have some initial questions that I'm going to ask each panellist to get the ball rolling, starting with you, Lisa. Uh, You joined ITV Studios in May in the middle of lockdown. So my first question, how was 2020 for you? And what lessons did you learn to take into 2021? 2020 for me, yeah, it's been interesting. I left Esmol Shine, got COVID, started at ITV. So it was sort of, yeah, the first lockdown was me lying on a sofa feeling terrible, I have to say. I think it's been, for me, a whirlwind, kind of moving from one creative job in, into ITV. You know, I sort of arrived at ITV when the, the wheels had started turning after the kind of initial lockdown and everybody had kind of found a way after the kind of being thrown in at the deep end so I feel very lucky it's been hard for me I've not been able to meet a lot of my MDs um, around the world for at least two months I couldn't meet any of my team so uh, we were just doing zooms and hangouts and everything all the time so it's been it's been difficult there's been some positives though which I know that we were talking about Ed I do think in a way that you know for ITV it's lent into its international production in a way that I don't think it would have had done without Covid I think it's leveled the playing 
field in that way. And I think, you know, the, the sharing that's happening from COVID, you know, in terms of best practice has kind of really accelerated. That's what I've seen anyway in my five months I've been there. Excellent. Christina, when we spoke on the phone earlier, you told me you had five primetime shows in production during lockdown. Tell us how was 2020 for you and the lessons you learned? It was very stressful. I mean, we were very fortunate that we were able to get five primetime shows up in the month of July. Um, we didn't have insurance issues so that we just kept going. Nothing had been shut down before the pandemic. It was just five shows got delayed. And the stress level, as as every producer on this phone knows, or every distributor broadcaster, is that, you know, we had to put in place on each show some very onerous protocols we had for, I remember sitting in April and saying to my team, we're going to have to hire medical consultants because we're not medical consultants. We're back to go into production, which we did. We hired medical consultants across not only the head office here, but the entire um, production slate. So the protocols that went into place, and the truth is, again, I don't know what it's like in Italy, but certainly here we got about 35 cents on every dollar of protocols. So that meant as producers, we were having to find 65% of those costs, which series could be upper of a million dollars. So imagine now you're not getting help on that other 65% of the million dollars. You're going to make a show. You're trying to keep everybody safe. You're potted up to the wazoo so that nothing happens that will taint what are the most vulnerable people in production, the actors. They're staring out into a sea of people wearing masks. And there they are standing, acting with others, day players, sometimes extras, no masks. So the protocols to keep that is extraordinarily extraordinarily stressful. So you also had, and um, you know, you had to really go to your distributors, your broadcasters and your platforms and say to them, this is 2020. This is not 2019. The show that you made in 2019 is not the show we're going to deliver to you in 2020. It's got to be a little different. It's got to be a little simpler. You know, fewer extras, fewer locations, more in studio, all of those things. But we all know, we're not stupid, that we've got to deliver great shows. So that's a real challenge for the writers, really, to come up with stories that could be set more outside, fewer extras, maybe your action scenes, because again, this is just the reality of working in 2020. So I feel like one of the great, you know, as a company, we feel very grateful. You know, we were able to deliver the five shows this year. Uh, You know, we didn't have some of those issues, didn't have any outbreaks on our sets. Touch wood, we still have three shooting. So it was, yeah, the the key word for me, stressful. Stressful indeed. Prentice, you must have had a little bit of stress uh, this year, moving the Hulu series Nine Perfect Strangers from California to New South Wales. Tell us about 2020 you so far and, and the lessons you've learned? Yeah, I think listening to Christina, you know, that's, I'm assuming that's like five productions all in one country, right? So, I mean, that's incredibly stressful too. And one of the things I think our production teams really learned over the last little while is it's so important to kind of diversify the locations of our productions. And so moving, you know, some shows to different countries in order to be able to sort of protect the pipeline. We've got Tokyo Vice right now in Japan. We've got, as you said, Nine Perfect Strangers in Australia. Australia. We've got Element Pictures delivering a show for us, um, the upcoming Conversations with Friends, which is going to be shooting in Ireland. We're shooting C right now in Toronto. So trying to, you know, spread our assets across different parts of the world really is very, very important to us going forward. Thank you for that. And and, and Luca, bringing you into, into the conversation, you had five sets running at one time when Italy was the European epicenter of the pandemic. Tell us about uh, how, how you managed, managed that. Uh, it's been tough as for everybody in this period and I remember really well the 8th of March when we sent back home uh, 800 
crew people from five different sets and uh, everybody doing our job the producer, producer knows very well that I mean uh, uh, the, the show must always go on, go on and uh, send back home 800 people like closing five sets uh, it was a shock in my life I believe it never happened to no, no one in our business I mean uh, at the same time uh, the, the world was shutting down and shutting down every set and then I remember we were we were having uh, actors coming from different countries so we were organizing because in that moment uh, all the airports were closing uh, so we had to send them back as, uh, as soon as it was possible because uh, they had to get back to their family so it's been a nightmare <laughs> a nightmare then uh, I even remember that there was a pressure for us because uh, there was some of these sets especially for example Leonardo that was full of uh, actors coming from different countries so we had to start right away from the afternoon to think about how to start again the production because there were several actors one one for for everybody for everyone uh, Freddie Aymour starring uh, Good Doctor they had to get back in Canada to shoot the new season of Good Doctor can you imagine Sony they wanted desperately to have him back in in Canada not, not risking for his for his health I mean in that moment no, that moment nobody knew what was going on so from that afternoon we start thinking what are we going to do uh, we have a production team and I have to say uh, uh, that we have been uh, in a way really lucky uh, because we are the only company in Italy uh, owning our our set so we, we decided right away from the afternoon to increase our backlog so uh, that moment we had built just uh, Florence because uh, the life of, 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 of Leonardo was split between Florence and Milan so we built it just Florence because we were supposed to go and shoot in North Italy Milan and uh, Lombardia that region at that time was red so it was impossible to get in so we decided uh, to start building uh, Milan in the back lot uh, in order to secure the production and uh, to keep going uh, shooting as uh, the sooner because our problem was was Freddy because I, I, we we knew it that if Freddy was going to start a good doctor I mean we lost him for I mean one month and the problem at that time there was in our end 50% of the shooting of the, of the production so we were missing out of 50 and we were risking to lose it forever so we started building Milan little by little and uh, and then uh, we have been lucky because uh, as uh, we were saying we need a doctor I've been lucky because my uh, my brother is a, a a doctor, an important doctor, is a, a consulent, a consulent of the minister for for health and care in Italy, and uh, he, he said we we study together a special protocol for for our set, uh, the bubble. Now, I mean, uh, talking about bubble for a set, it's simple. Everybody knows that. No, uh, but at that time, nobody knew, and so we were being really fast studying the bubble. We studied this peculiar procedure that's up to now. I mean. We, we are using our set. Nobody can get in if, if he's not tested. I was just going to say, it's one of the observations I've had starting this job is that because the pandemic hit Central Europe first, certainly Catlea, who works in Italy and Tetra mm. France, they kind of came up with solutions because they had to, because they were in it earlier, that for ITV have been shared really widely. So, you know, it kind of came to the UK and sort of moved across the world. So that entrepreneurial spirit that Luke is talking about really, uh, kind of really resonates with me. I, I really saw it as well. That's one 
one of the positives that came out, you know, the thought that we could build a backlot on a brand new show, Luca, you know, we knew what the numbers were. We were, we'd say, oh, we can't do it. We're going to have to go on location. Well, guess what? We found the money on a new show to build a backlot. And where did we find that money? By saving on location fees and some extras and some big action, you know what I mean? So suddenly we have another backlot, you know, that we didn't have before. So out of the negative came quite a positive that you actually, at least, you know, at least to your point, that entrepreneurial spirit of producers to just sort of get in there and figure it out in a in a situation we'd never been in, to your point, Luca. We'd never made shows this way, you know, so. Christian, thanks for waiting there. I, I want to bring you into this. Uh, I, I understand that you had something like 38 dramas to deliver this year through Freemax Free so I'm just interested to hear your point of view on how was 2020 for you and, and what are the lessons that you're going to take into 2021? We had uh, 38 projects that were in the process of production, drama-wise, at the time of the lockdown. So I think, you know, what was impressive was, again, the producerial spirit and the ability of our producers globally to respond. You know, of those 38, 90% of them have delivered and many of them have already been on air. I think that, you know, obviously, you know, we, we are in so many territories. Territories that the, the 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 lessons learned vary widely and aren't necessarily applicable across territories. I mean, we, for example, we recent just recently got back into production on Mosquito Coast in Mexico. You know, but that's a giant Apple show with big stars, and it's in Mexico. That is utterly unique in, in the protocols uh, in terms of at least within Fremantle that we had to in, engage with. I mean, it was just a different scale of things. On the other hand, within the um, actually, I think from June, you know, we. We had two shows, Stiesel number three from Israel and Exit number two, which both started production, wrapped, and are now in post with all within the COVID period. So I think that, you know, it has been incredibly impressive how each of our production territories has found the way to get these projects done. I think that to everyone's point, it has increased the cost, but we're now actually starting to see those increased costs flatten out a bit. I think once we you have the experience of, of making, you know, finding out what's working, what's not working, what's necessary, what's not necessary. It has gotten, if not easier, uh, more predictable. So I think that has been the the, the biggest takeaway. But it's uh, the biggest challenge continues to be, I think, to uh, Christina's point, making the actors comfortable at the end of the day, and because they are the most exposed. And that has taken a lot of work on the part of our producers and the company to bring them along with us. The next question I'm going to try and focus on is just get a little bit more about the positive impact that lockdown has had and the pandemic has had on the key parts of your business, ranging from development, raising finance, pitching even, you know, casting, we've touched on production and distribution. And Lisa, in a prep call, you spoke about sort of creativity coming from dark times. I do think COVID has given a kind of, I mean, development wise, I do think from this dark period, there will be a, a kind of a real sort of creative flower that will bloom from it in, in ways that kind of we, we probably don't even imagine yet and, and can possibly imagine. Certainly, you know, I know writers and development teams have been locked away, unable to meet often, but still talking all the time. And certainly that's what I've seen in ITV. Pitching, if if anything, pitching has increased, not decreased. I feel that, that broadcasters are hungrier than ever and certainly looking at scripts that they may have passed over or have passed over, going back to have a second look, which I think is interesting. So I think there will be positives, even though, you know, as the second wave hits us, we can't quite see that right now. I do believe that there will be some good out of the bad. Christina and 
Luca were touching in some of the kind of entrepreneurial ways that people are getting around filming. And obviously on a set, you know, when you're on a drama set, it's you, you're used to kind of hanging together and clustering around the monitor and looking at scenes. Certainly Catlea came up with an app that you could download on your phone that you could see your scene on your phone rather than clustering around the monitor. When we were doing the soaps, Coronation Street and Emmerdale, which are incredibly important to ITVs and the viewers, you know, kind of when you're feeling down and things are unsure, you want to hang on and watch stuff that you love. So, um, you know, Coronation Street and uh, Emmerdale were only down for six weeks before they came back. And the camera guys had built this Perspex sort of hide almost that sort of fitted on the cameras, which ITV have kind of moved around the world as well to kind of give some distance, socially distance between the, the actors and the and the uh, camera guys. You know, there's COVID marshals on set, which I suspect is pretty standard now. Now, all of these things that nobody had even thought about in February, March of this year now seem to kind of be absolutely standard. The deals that people are doing with hospitals, the PPE that they're sourcing, the quick testing that they're doing, everybody has kind of pulled it out of the bag in really creative ways, I think. Christina, I just want to bring you in there, just looking at the different parts of your business, such as development, pitching, casting, production and distribution. How's the pandemic impacted those? I mean, I think we all know, I think we've all learned that, that development actually hasn't really changed much you know um, people still want content in fact they you know they want more content because they're not getting it fast enough so those are all positives I think the the two things just as different observations you know you can cast for single parts um, we've all done that you know we do it remotely every day but when you get down to having for a new series to do a chemistry read I've got to say that's where I actually realized it's very hard to have two people zooming and you really know what's that gonna really be like and I just to say we're about to go out a new series and I can't decide if that Zoom audition of this is the chemistry, it's the two leads. So that ha- that continues for me to be a challenge. The other, I think, real positive is co-viewing. You know, I think that, you know, right now in a world of great uncertainty that doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon, it's interesting to me that broadcasters and platforms are looking for shows that actually the whole family can sit down and watch. You know, and I'm not talking about kids shows, I'm talking truly about a co-view show. I'm thinking of something like Enola Holmes, you know, that just went out there, you know, um, um, and literally was exactly that sort of show. So we're finding a much greater demand from people for shows that are a bit more blue sky, you know, a bit more of a show you could all sit down, a bit more hopeful, just to say. So that's an opportunity, Ed. We also spoke, Christina, about um, sort of the growth in co-production opportunities. You were saying that uh, Toronto's never been busier, there's runaway productions coming north across the border. Tell us about that. Well, that's a downside as a Canadian producer. And, you know, Prentice has got sea shooting up here. I mean, Toronto, you know, I mean, everybody's, I mean, a lot of Americans are coming to Toronto and Vancouver. And I got to tell you, as a domestic Canadian producer, trying to find crew and not having the big, the big guys steal our crews, which I've never seen, you know, finding out your second AD has walked because they've got a big offer from Netflix on a show, just to say. So for us Canadians up here, I can't find a studio. I cannot find a studio because the Americans have gone in and done five-year deals, just to say. So that's a little bit of a downside for me, Ed. But, but on the co-pro side, you know, and we've been a company focused on co-pros for a couple of decades now, 
I've never had more outreach by Irish producers, Australian producers, you know, New Zealand producers, to actually say, we got a show, we're looking for 20% of the budget, how could we do this together, there's some Canadian elements, you know what I mean, and, and me vice versa going back. So I think, once again, co-productions are certainly alive and well right now, like never before. So, so that's all positive. Luca, you, we were talking about uh, productions coming in from uh, Hollywood and other parts of the world into, into Europe. Do you want to tell us about your experiences of that? All the producer, Italian producer, has been really working uh, well uh, with the Italian government in order to have some concrete, some real help. And it came because, I mean, now that we are having a 40% tax credit in Italy, uh, maybe too much because all the American production are coming here because they want to get our tax credit. So, uh, but this has been important for, 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 for all our business area. And uh, even though because uh, Rise Not, uh, which is a public broadcaster, is not doing what BBC is doing in UK, they are not granting for our budget in case of, in case of COVID. And everybody knows how much is difficult with insurance right now. So this has been a great help. Of, and uh, a great possibility for us to be brave and, and, and uh, to make the production restart right away. To me, as a producer, as a content provider, as to change even uh, our way of uh, making content. Uh, I was talking with a really close friend of mine, uh, which is an important American producer, and uh, we were agreeing yesterday uh, what is needed now it is a fight base and uh, feel good content i mean people has to be relieved by this strong and difficult period for example we during the covid in italy we had uh, a show uh, which is a medical show called doc and we were a bit afraid because uh, we were saying a show with doctors i mean in this period and people the news are full of doctors and and uh, news on covid uh, but the, the in the show there was really a way of telling uh, these people helping uh, the, the patient in, in a nice way, in a good way, giving hope to people. Instead, got rating unbelievable, 33% of share, 8 million 0.5 viewers, has been the most successful the most successful show in Italy in the last 15 years. So this means it's clear that people need a different kind of content. This is the period to call back the family on, on the sofa, on the couch, and uh, to let them see a nice product uh, all together. Apprentice, I'd like to bring you in, if I may. The question we're looking at is how, how the lockdown has impacted the key parts of your business development, finance, pitching, all the way through to distribution. Yeah, you know, Endeavor Content has in, we, obviously we own Andrew Glassman Media, which, you know, Andrew is the creator of Spin the Wheel and The Wall. So he's an incredibly talented format producer, um, but we haven't really done anything in the past, as far as I'm aware, in the scripted space. And, you know, with the advent of the global pandemic and the restrictions like we've been talking about today, as it relates to production, you know, something like State of the Union, which is a seesaw production from Nick Hornsby, it's a really interesting opportunity for a lot of creatives internationally. And we've been approached like several times a week over the last several months um, about that show in particular. And so actually we're considering 
offering now, taking it out to the market as a format. You know, it's a it's a short form series. It did win an Emmy, um, so it's widely known. It's highly entertaining. You've got you know two lead talent uh, who sit in basically a coffee shop for you know a, a shooting period of about three weeks, right? So it's entirely um, manageable and and possibly possible to contain it um, from a COVID perspective. So that's when I think we'll be uh, seeing a few international versions of in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I think that as as um, everyone has noted, development has proceeded fast and furiously during lockdown. I think that, you know, sort of perhaps differently than Luca, I think that, you know, because we're a collection of, of multiple companies, we, we've really looked at, do we need to make a lot of our content more mainstream and accessible? And I think that that is true. You know, as we all know, it's tough with development because, you know, you develop something now for much further down the road um, where we have, you know, and, you know, you can, can't really predict the market. And I think that a lot of our projects tend to be author driven. And so we continue to encourage them to make what they feel is their passion on the distribution side. And as someone who has produced a couple of shows uh, over the past year that aired, it's been good. You know, some of our bigger shows found really great homes and got a lot of attention because of the Darth of programming delivery, especially toward the end of the year. We have a show called No Man's Land, which is we produced with Otecor out of Paris with Hulu and Arte. And it, you know, became Hulu's drama tentpole for the fall. And to be perfectly honest, it's in Arabic, Kurdish, French, and English. It would not have been Hulu's tentpole for the fall in a normal year. You know, Salisbury, which uh, our company Dancing Ledge produced, ended up being BBC's biggest numbers in, in a number, you know, since The Bodyguard. And it was interesting because that was actually a show that everyone was a little anxious about, given that it was about a poisoning and and something, in fact, you know, that, that, that was killing people in an English town. But at the same time, I think in the accessible realm, it was about an English town and it was very relatable. Is is a country's sort of COVID safety record or position in this in the curve of the COVID in locally? Is that now a factor when you decide let's go and shoot over in Iceland, for instance, because they've they've managed the COVID a lot better than other countries? Is that now part of the decision making process? We, we have been looking. You know, certainly there there are a number of projects out of the US that we've talked about moving to New Zealand if possible, uh, or you know even Australia. You know, we own to Luca's point, which is interesting. We own our studio where we shoot Neighbors in Melbourne, and we were able to get neighbors back up in two weeks because we were able to secure the facility. And I think that there is certainly thinking on some of our English language shows that can be reset there that, yeah, it makes sense. But, you know, our producers, at least at Fremantle, are quite, you know, our, you know, our Italian producers are making shows that take place in Italy and they're meant to take place in Italy. So it's hard to uh, to necessarily move those, you know, oftentimes the same in the UK, the same in our company, Kwai and France and et cetera. So it's a little tricky. Sorry, that's the reason why we moved Nine Perfect strangers from California to Australia. So it was meant to shoot in Q2 of last year, of this year. And, you know, by the time we really wanted to get off the ground and get rolling, it was August, you know, the COVID cases in Sydney were, or in New South Wales, where we ended up shooting, were just so much lower than they were across the States and still are. And the, not only just the sort of the active activity of the disease, but also the regulations that were put in place at like an early stage were a lot more manageable than they were in other countries. Um, they were just slightly farther along. I mean, we still follow the SAG guidelines on set of that, but um, definitely the protocols are a 
lot more manageable for the talent and for the crew. That particular show, I don't know if everybody knows it, it's the next book from Leanne Moriarty. Um, so it's got Nicole Kidman as a producer and the lead, and it's produced by Made Up Stories and Blossom Films. So at its core, also from a creative perspective, there were so many Australian elements there. You know, Nicole is a sweetheart of Australia, and then Made Up Stories has offices in both the States and Australia, and then the book is from there too. So it was kind of um, a perfect fit from that perspective, but definitely not easy to convince, you know, an A-list cast like Nicole Kidman, Melissa McCarthy, Luke Evans, Asher, you know, everybody moving all those people out of California, halfway across the world to Australia, you know, lots of private planes, lots of negotiations with the local authorities and the government based on um, what our COVID quarantine plans were going to be for the talent. We actually had to rent a separate hotel for a month to quarantine all the staff. We had to clean it for a week, put everybody in there for two weeks and then clean it again before we left. But, you know, at the end of the day, the um, production, I think, is going to be really amazing. We found this stunning spa where the entire show takes place in the middle of the woods in New South Wales. And it will probably be a much more international show um, because of the location of the shoot. So um, I think the quality of the content is going to be fantastic. And But the decision really was made because it was sort of a more viable environment. Lisa, you moved. Um, I'm, a, I'm a celebrity from Australia to, to Wales. Was it we- near as complicated as what, uh, what Princess was describing? Nearly, I think. Not as many private planes, though, I don't think. Um, although Ant and Deck, I'm sure, would love one. In Unscripted, for sure, I think there has been lots of movement around the world. And we really doubled down on hubs. You know, for example, we've we've hubbed Love Island in Gran Canaria to make it safe so we can control the bubble and, and make it as COVID safe for people filming as, as you can. But, you know, as, as Prentice was saying, and um, Christian, it's hard for, for drama producers to kind of, con- when they've conceived and written a show to be, and their, and, and their passion to be filmed in one place, to kind of upend and move it somewhere else. Although Mammoth were supposed to be filming in Thailand and actually finished the Thai filming in Hertfordshire. So it can be done, but <laughs> I think it's the exception, not the rule. And certainly, you know, Australia, I think, you know, look, they've had three days COVID free. The government are putting tax breaks in. Christina, you might be lucky. It'll all be moving. I was talking to our Australian team this morning. Everybody's going to be jumping ship down to Australia and you, and the Canadians will be fine all of a sudden. You know, people are following the weather, the tax breaks and, and the fact that there's no COVID there. So I think there might be a, a rush down there. Christina, any thoughts on uh, on Runaway Productions leaving Canada and going elsewhere? That might be good news for you. Yeah, that's going to be great. No, I think, I think you know, I mean, we're like Luca, you know, um, we're a Canadian producer. So, you know, not that we don't shoot around the world, we do, but the bottom line is probably the majority of our shows are in our backyard. That's the truth. So we're not going to be chasing COVID or tax credits, to be honest, because, you know, we've got a pretty good system here. What about, I mean, if um, tax credits and COVID uh, curve are, are things to factor into your decisions, what about the insurance question? Because obviously that's something that changes from country to country, depending on the government's response and the broadcaster's position. Is that something that's going to inform decisions about where you shoot going forward. Canada, I think, is one of the first countries, actually, our federal government has stepped in with a with a backup insurance policy or program. So, um, you know, it was it was announced, it went into effect last Friday, first come, first served, but it is for Canadian productions. So the great news is that on all the new shows, we have our federal government backstopping, you know, that piece of the insurance. And the truth is, I mean, I can say, must maybe like Luca, that, you know, we had 
five shows going this summer. They only went because we had insurance. Trust me, we would not have had five shows going if I didn't have insurance. The risk to me and our broadcaster and our distributors was way too great. So when the federal government announced this program, it's only 50 million bucks, first come, first serve. So when that runs out, boy, they hopefully will see that this is actually an interesting business model. I actually think the federal government might decide that this actually works, you know, for the short term and carry on. So um, so we're pretty grateful in this country. I think France has done it. I don't know, Lisa or Christian or, you know, Prentice, what you're seeing around the world, but there's not, a, I don't think a lot of people have stepped up in terms of backstop. The UK have put in, the UK government have put something in place. Um, I think. You has as well. Yeah, Italy, as I said, because the, because the first wave of the pandemic swept across Europe, I think some of the countries like Italy, who kind of looked at their tax um, credits and more or less with that 40% underwrote quite a lot of production. You know, they did some quite innovative things in Italy really early on that enabled, you know, production to get back on really quickly. And, and, and France did as well, I think, as it rode, the, the wave kind of came over and other countries looked at what Central Europe were doing, they've um, adopted them. But kind of looking at tax credits, it's not really, and and government stepping up to the plate, it's not really, I mean, it's not an insurance company kind of giving you proper insurance. You know, studios are self-insuring, we know that. It's going to remain a bit of a thorny problem, I think. Do you think, Luca, that the wave reached Italy earlier than other parts of Europe? Do you think it's allowed it to get its its sort of response in place and it's now benefiting from that? It completely changed our our approach because uh, uh, we've been the first one to be it really strongly and the reaction of all the Italian producers I have to say has been uh, uh, joining together to make it start again uh, this has been uh, quite uh, amazing uh, so there has been no no no, no division uh, among us uh, and even the response of the unions has been uh, really efficient and strong they've been really fast in improving the port protocol uh, that we share together and that has been really important to start uh, shooting uh, right, right away. Luca, it's interesting because you talk about, you know, um, you know, I mean, you know, the world is a pretty dark place right now. And you can see that I've come, Shastri's back, our head office is back. We're lucky we're 50 people. It's a pretty open space. We've made, you see people walking by with masks. And what was so important for me was not just to get five primetime shows up and 800 people working, you know, but actually was for the core team here to feel normal again. You know, like even though it's not normal to walk around with masks and sit in a boardroom that used to take 10 people, we can only do four now. It's more normal. And I think the stress of the Zoom call, the stress of sitting in my dining room started to get me as the head of a company. Like, I want to see my people. These are my people. And so for us, it is, there's an empathy, Luca. There's some, There's an interesting shift right now. When you say about Canadian producers, we're actually coming together more in a way we were maybe a little more competitive because that's the world now. You know, there's just so, there is a, there's a goodness coming out of this, not to be too sappy about it. I think that interestingly, though, to your point um, earlier about uh, development being strong, it is getting very tough on the pitching front because I think that people's, unless you're heading in with a giant package with a giant star like Nicole Kidman, I think if you're pitching something that's quite special or quite writer driven and you don't have a writer that is great on Zoom, that's starting to really, I find um, it's just a frustration. And I think that we're reaching the limit 
I think, of that being an effective way to function. So much of, I think, our producer's success has been based on getting really great writers from perhaps the UK or Europe into a room in LA to get that co-production sealed or to get that commission sealed where they can charm and really dig into the ideas. That does not happen in the same way on online. It's just there's the rapport can't exist. I would say my biggest frustration in this last seven months is, is that deteriorating. That and, that and, you know, producers that we have deals with that we love, you know, yet another week of uh, a, a Zoom catch-up, you start to lose a little bit of that, that rapport. So we're sensing a bit of Zoom fatigue kicking into the industry, eh? Let's, uh, we're getting into the, the home straight. I just wanted to zero in on, a, on some some opportunities that have arisen this year because it's not just COVID, it's, it's the year that streaming seems to have taken centre stage. There's a whole lot of things that, uh, obviously because of COVID, so there's a whole lot of things that uh, could provide opportunities. I, I spoke to you, Lisa, about the opportunities for non-US content because uh, the US, Hollywood is in a much tighter lockdown. Are there much more opportunities for, for non-US content and even non English language content around the world? You know, as the Hollywood machine has kind of been slow to crank up during the pandemic, and Prentice, you'll probably say not, but it feels as though it's been slower because just from the very fact of the insurance and the actors and the, the kind of the process that you have to put around it, I think premium content, no matter what language it is in, is being looked at in a different way. And I think that's only a good thing, by the way. I think that's slightly leveled the playing field. I think on the one hand, it's frustrating because every day people that were in positions you knew them in are disappearing in LA and it's been confusing and 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 what are the agendas but I think at the same time we have got up Spanish language shows in the US for example on on main platforms that I don't think we would have in the past and, and it's not just Netflix I mean it's it's actual you know Warner media platforms and and that sort of thing and I think that is uh that's exciting for for our producers outside of the US and the UK yeah Tokyo Vice that we're shooting for HBO right now in Japan is actually 70% Japanese. So to your point, and you know, that was licensed out of the US as an original. To me, the, it, 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 nobody speaks Italian in the world. I mean, as Japanese, I mean, and uh, honestly, if I can say it's difficult to me, if I have to, yesterday night I was watching a German show in German with subtitle. I mean, to me, it's more difficult. Uh, I can listen and uh, appreciate a, a, an English speaking show. It's more difficult if it is in another language. So well, I think- me, if I do something for the Italian television I can make in Italian as this show I was telling you uh, the medical show I mean we are selling it all over the world even in America even though if it's in Italian but if I have to do something really international I prefer to make it in English because it's, it's our language I mean it's the language that people speak all over the world so I mean I think it's um it's, it's different types of shows you know I mean I think to Prentice's point about Tokyo and I mean we have my brilliant friend on HBO in Italian I mean HBO is, is a kind of network that yeah. will take those risks driven by IP and, and filmmakers, but the, the big mainstream networks, it's still a ways to go before something is is in a foreign language or not English language, sorry. Prentice, we're getting the, the image that Hollywood's shut down and, and everyone else is taking advantage of that. Do you get that feeling? No, business is booming. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know me, I'm like an optimist. So there's always something to do, right? So if one part of the business isn't in full effect, you know, that's why you have a diverse structure to your overall organization, right? And then you pick up in another area. So in this time, you know, as an opportunity, definitely we've been seeing a a lot of active licensing on uh, second window, third window, non-exclusive 
exclusive, co-exclusive licensing activity. I mean, it's been really, really active. It was an extremely busy summer. Um, people were very worried about the amount of inventory that was going to be coming out of Hollywood. And we're looking to some of those household names and brands that they can trust to really populate their slate for the next couple of years. So there was like a ton of buying activity over the last little while. Looking back on all the uh, changes that the industry has undergone this year, which of them are, are going to be temporary, do you think? Or which of them are going to be permanent? Well, I'm hoping the COVID marshals will be temporary. Let's be honest. We all hope that. And the, and the swabs up the nose. That we hope is temporary. I, I hope what endures is the the sharing, the, the collaboration, which I believe has come from this. And I hope that that endures, I have to say. And I hope that the kind of, and I really genuinely, and I said this before, I do believe that from these dark places, there will be some kind of real creative flower that will bloom. And I think we'll all be in two years time sitting here saying we're kind of living in a golden era of drama and some of the writers that have been locked down have kind of come up with this some amazing stories that will be kind of going on so those are the things I kind of hold on to um, and I hope that they endure I have to say and some of the relationships that are built during this time you know Christina's talking a lot about the co-pro some of those relationships that are being made and forged I think you know when you when you kind of come together in adversity those those ties become very close and very hard so I think that those will those will stay. Well, I'm with Christina. I'm going to start traveling again and definitely going for the wining and dining as soon as possible. And although I do actually really find a lot of efficiencies with the Zoom calls, I know people get exhausted by them, as do I. But the idea that you can have 12, 14 meetings in a day back to back, as opposed to, you know, sitting in a taxi going across London, trying to at least get two different people in one day, you know, it's it's quite efficient. And I think we'll keep a lot of those sort of tech efficiencies for sure. I think, especially on set, people are realizing that you could do things potentially in a much more organized fashion, maybe with fewer people in different ways. And I think we're going to keep a lot of those key learnings. But I definitely think we need to bring back the human interaction and sort of the fun part of our business too, which is, you know, like you said, building these relationships. So, you know, a few of us on this call have known each other for over 20 years, right? So that's nothing to be discounted. And I think we'll all celebrate when we get to, you know, hang out again. I, I hope that one of the permanent changes, I mean, to Prentice's point, there is an efficiency to the Zoom calls. I, I, I hate working from home, I have to be honest. But um, I think, you know, the, it, they can be a bit of a grind because you don't get a break in between them, really. But I do hope that uh, what remains permanent is the accessibility of producers to each, our producers to each other. I mean, I, I have found that because we're all sat at our desks all day, I am in some ways more across their slates and what they need than I've ever been before. Uh, so that I think has been a positive and I hope that that sticks. I mean, I am I'm ready to get back on the road again. So I have that that I mean, I just I think we all joined for that a little bit for that that reason, you know, and, 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 you know, seeing the talent, meeting writers in person, all that, I mean, that, that needs to end as soon as possible. Well, I concur with everyone that much as we hate Zoom calls that, you know, we're all going to take those away for sure. There's no question. The thing I think that, that I'm, I'm trying to look at, it goes a little bit to the building of a backlog, but actually we're starting as a company to try and look like it was such a wake up call, how this virus could shut down our business and force us to change. So we're as a company trying to look to technology, right? Right now to see is there a way that technology can actually make our shooting simpler and maybe we don't have to go on location so you know Matt they're building a very big Mandalorian studio here in Toronto which is going to be bigger than in Los Angeles and I'm going to see how shafts 
Glossary, even though we don't have the big budgets that a lot of others have, the huge budgets, can we use technology in a way that we haven't done before? You know, and, and so anyway, it's early days, um, but that's what I'm actually excited about. I've been in this business a long time, so maybe there's an opportunity to change how we make our shows. Summing up, I think uh, lots and lots of downsides to 2020, but maybe a few upsides to look forward to for 2021. Lisa Perrin, Christina Jennings, Prentice Fraser, Luca Bernabe, and Christian Vesper speaking to Ed Waller. That is all for the C21 podcast for 2020. Thanks to all of you who've tuned in and those that have taken part in our episodes during what's been a momentous year. We wish you a very Merry Christmas if you celebrate it, Happy Holidays if you don't, and either way, a healthy, hopeful and prosperous 2021. From all at C21, thanks for listening.